that time again for another episode of Bass Edge Radio. This, the December 1st edition, episode 245. And of course, as always, brought to you in part by MegaWare Keelguard. Give your boat the edge, put on the protection the pros pick. Keelguard. Visit them at keelguard.com. Aaron, super stoked. I'm still getting out of the turkey coma from last week, but I'm up, awake, and ready to rock. Bass Edge Radio will start now. know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Deer season is over and the temperature is dropping. I am uh, knocking the dust off my skis because it won't be too long, Kurt. Uh, We'll be able to actually do that uh, here (laughs) with the way the temperature is dropping. But, uh, you know, there's still a lot of fishing to be uh, kind of discussed, obviously, and really, quite honestly, to be done. And I'm kind of sitting here thinking, Kurt, we're almost to the end of the year. And as you know, I cannot keep a secret, but I have done a very good job with what we have coming with the announcements that we will be announcing. Probably, I'm guessing, at the December 15th episode with all the new changes and all the great things that's coming about. And speaking of great things that's coming about, this episode in particular, our guest I saw featured on the uh, Bass Blaster in some dreadlocks. Uh, new hairstyle or, or, or what's going on there, buddy? Yeah, man, that was a crazy deal. All kinds of cool stuff. Uh, Kumar's putting on the blaster. I think you had mentioned Zona on there, and man, I thought the perfect setup was uh, Scott Rook. Okay, alright. He, he hit a little Johnny Depp going on there, didn't he? <laughs> they all had Johnny Depp with uh, with the, uh, what was that movie? The Caribbean movie. Yeah, right? yeah, the, 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 Pirates the Pirates of the Caribbean. That's it, that's it. Pirates of the Caribbean, but uh, man, that was a cool deal I, I gotta say you know always finding some cool info on that bass blaster too i saw that skylar hamilton is gonna be uh running a tin boat on the elite series next year i thought that was pretty cool obviously everybody knows about john cox we had him on a previous episode earlier this year talking about you know how he loves to fish shallow you know fishes out of a, a crest liner a tin boat and uh, now now you got skylar hamilton so, so do you think the day's ever coming where we'll see a kayak kurt no no it's not <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha. 
<laughs> I think the kayak movement is is catching on tremendously, but uh, certainly not going to happen in the elite series. I don't think. You know, you, you got you got all kinds of issues, keel switch, live wells, all kinds of stuff. So I don't know. But anyway, I've seen. You know, obviously the kayaks have been adept to handling 12 inch screen graphs. You see the HDS 12s. You know, with everybody loves the Lawrence, and and they're all over those kayaks. It's freaking amazing. But uh, anyway, make sure you get a hold of the Bass Blaster. And um, that email that you need to send your subscription to is BassGold at BassBlaster.com. So uh, be sure you sign up to uh, get the Bass Blaster from Jay Kumar. But uh, hey, Aaron, we've got a, another episode here and, and we're really excited. We talked, you know, just last month about how warm it was and was fall ever going to arrive? Well, dude, it came in a hurry, did it not? Man, it absolutely did. And, uh, you know, got through deer season and, and certainly waking up now with the frost on the on the windshields, at least where I'm at. But you know what? It's that time of year, and that means one thing, that this time of year, you can, in my part of the world, get on those jerk baits and actually pick up that jig and catch the big ones. You're exactly right. I mean, I thought the fish were going to start spawning before we ever got <laughs> in the south, which is really interesting. We're going to talk about that a little bit today with our guest in our angler spotlight. We're going to talk about the difference between fall in the middle section of the U.S. and fall way down south. There's a lot of big differences. Um, you know, a lot of people think of fall as September and October, and really, we don't start seeing that stuff way down south until well, and, and the reality is, Kurt, you bring up a good point because some places, they're thinking getting ready to get their ice huts out, right? Hey, I had a buddy that fished the uh, Federation National Championship uh, you know, a week and a half or so ago there at Conroe, and uh, he told me that he wasn't trying to get home too fast because it was already a foot of snow in New York. So, so it's definitely wow. different all across the country, and um, taking into account those differences and changes and, and talking about those today, about some fall fishing, late fall, some winter for folks, a lot of fall for a lot of us. Let's Let's listen up to this angler, Cliff Crochet, Bass Open Champion now on Bass Edge Radio. I am jacked about this episode. I've been fortunate enough to hang out with this dude a good bit over the last several years. He's a pretty goofy fella, but the dude's got a heart of gold. Welcome the latest BASS Central Open champion and a 2017 Bassmaster Classic qualifier. This is Bass Elite Angler Cliff Crochet. Great to have you on the show, Cliff. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Dude, that was a lot of stuff to say. You got all kinds of stuff going on. And all we get is a Good morning. I mean, come on, Cliff. You got to be excited, right? BASS Central Open Champ. That's got to command a little bit of excitement, yeah? Yeah, I think the... Uh the shock has wore off a little bit from winning, from having that winning title now. And I was kind of awe. Kind of like, how did that happen? I'm, I'm excited that it did happen, and I'm, I'm thankful that it happened, but it's kind of like, how? Before we get into the how, how does the type of win affect or impact your career and an angler like yourself? I think it has a big impact in several ways, too. Obviously, there's a financial deal in there. You know, you win a boat, you win some cash. That's a big uh. That's a big help. But the biggest thing it does for me is I think it, it proves to me that my approach and my mentality 
and uh, how I go about things may not be 100% correct, but it's somewhat correct. There's some good things going on in that, so it just kind of supports and justifies you know, how I go about tournaments and how I approach them. It validates somewhat. what you've been doing, basically. Yeah, some of it. Uh, you know, you got to get better and change, but I think the core of what I do works, and yeah, a win definitely validates it, I think. Well, Cliff, you know, that kind of rides right into some of my thought process here. You know, let's get some further insight on this. You know, we, we all have some down times. Um, what is it that you feel are the ingredients of a person's struggles? Now you're on the top side. Right. You're on the upside of this thing. How and what can you do that's important for you to keep this momentum and kind of rekindle that success you had on the Elite Series the first several years you were there? Well, I'm glad you said everybody has struggles because everybody has them from uh, from the top tournament fisherman. You bet. KVD, of course, you got to he's the top guy. Everybody from Kevin to the guy that fishes uh, the local pond in town every weekend. Everybody struggles. You know, you, and you consistently work hard. You always work hard and something good happens. And I think the biggest deal with that is it lets, it, it builds momentum. So instead of saying, you know, it's tough, well, I'm probably not going to catch one today. I think your mindset goes to, well, it's tough. You know, I just need a couple bites. And, and you see a way out instead of just another horrible day on the water. I think that's the biggest deal. Everything's good. You look at a good ending instead of well, this probably just ends up the same way it always does, you know? Well, I got to say that's that's a great perspective, and, and quite frankly, it comes a little bit surprising. You are generally very loose. You're always upbeat. You, you seem to always see a bright side in things, but yet you're telling me there was a small inkling of the back of your mind that was saying things ain't good right now for a little while. <laughs> yeah. And it, it really sucks to admit that. It's almost embarrassing. You know what I mean? But it's true. It's like, uh, you know, after you miss a check or you have two or three bad days on the water, you're kind of like, well, this, I guess this is just the way it is for now. Right. And I think at a certain point, you got to kind of almost accept that it sucks and you got to deal with it for a little while. But just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. And, and hopefully, you know, you fish out of it. And I think fishermen in general, if you look back at what you've done over the last I don't know, year or 18 months or two years or whatever, you'll see, uh, you know, peaks and valleys through that whole deal. And I, I don't know why, I don't know how to keep the peaks going and make the valley shorter, but I know for me personally, since I started fishing tournaments at 12 years old, I can go back and tell you it's been peaks and valleys. The good thing for me that I like and what I've seen in, in my personal fishing is uh, the peaks are always higher. The next peak is higher. The next peak is higher. Right. Uh, whether it be from uh, back in the day in BFL, where uh, a high peak was qualifying for the BFL regional, and then uh, you know making a state team through the federation, on to qualifying for the elites, on to qualifying for the classic, on to winning an open, the peaks have always gotten higher and higher. I think you just gotta just keep fishing, keep having fun, and the next peak is not far away. It's almost yeah. a deal if you can uh, if you can stand it long enough. The next peak is coming. That's a great perspective. I like that. Very good. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's chat quickly about uh, the way you came back to win on your home waters that Kurt cannot pronounce of Achafalaya Basin. And make sure, correct me if I'm wrong, because Kurt and I had an inside bet that yeah. I, I could say it correctly <laughs> and he could not, Cliff. Am I saying that? Am I pronouncing that properly? Yep. Uh, Chaffee, Ohio, Basin. Nice. Nice. So Kurt owes me dinner. All right. So what was going on in that early October event 
uh, of how you were able to orchestrate and, and basically pull out that win? Well, your calendar said October, but it was still summertime. So the way I approached that deal was I knew there was a couple areas that had this. And what I did leading up to that tournament was I scouted everything but those couple areas. Because they were historic areas, I got confidence in them. I had caught a few fish in them, you know, over a couple of weeks before. So I scouted everything but where I was going to fish and kind of went all in on those couple areas. And uh, that really helped me out because when on day one, and this story is cool now that it's over, but at the time it was uh, almost gave me a heart attack. At 12.30 on day one, I only had one fish. And uh, scouting the way I did, it worked out perfect because I had fished everything else that I could possibly think I had a fish within like 40 miles of where I was that kept me glued to uh, one area or a couple areas, which I worked down to one. But that was a big deal, knowing where not to go and having enough sense and confidence to stay where I was, you know, where I ended up winning. You talked about fishing painfully slow. You know, that was an adjustment, you know, that you made. Is that because, I mean, typically October, a lot of places in the country are thinking, dude, it's fall fishing. Things are getting good, you know, like shatter moving and this kind of stuff, and, and uh, obviously that wasn't the case here. Not at all, because the calendar, especially down south, the calendar doesn't always match up with uh, seasons, I guess, you know, especially in south Louisiana, south Texas, where you at. Right. Uh, October is just late summer. There's no fall. There's no front. There's no nothing. So it's a summer deal. But the deal with fishing slow was I was flipping mats. There was only one section of the mat that was about 250 yards long or so that had deeper water. And the rest of it in that area was probably, uh, you know, two foot or so, maybe a foot and a half. You was dragging bottom. And those fish sucked to that little deep area. And it was a mat that was probably, you know, endless deep as far as, you know, how far you could throw in there. So I would fish, uh, first flip was on the edge, second flip was two foot back, four foot back, six foot back. And I'd do that. All the way back until I felt like I was making too long a flip, and I flipped my way back. And then I would move the boat up 10 feet and do the same thing. That deal there was more about getting the most out of an area or finding a pattern within an area. And if I went to, back to that same area today, it might be different. Uh, you know, talking about summer fishing and fall fishing, it might be different because the water temperature has cooled off some. So you're probably going on some traditional fall type stuff. But uh, at that time, it was still a summer deal, which is weird because the calendar said October, but welcome to the South, you know? Right, right. And, you know, I've seen this in the past, you know, these late summer patterns lasting so long into the season. I mean, I'm, I'm from Virginia. And, you know, when I'm originally, you know, living up there, you start to get into October and things start changing a lot. Now, obviously, that's different here. Aaron and I were just talking about in the last episode about how warm it's been and, and how continuous. Now, finally, just before Thanksgiving, we really get our first good cold front down here in the South. I'm, I'm sure you felt it over there in Louisiana. I, I had it here in South Texas, and it really turned that fishing on. You know, I mean, fall fishing, you know, has finally arrived, and here it is the first of December. Finally, we've got some water temps finally came down into the 60s after they had been mid-70s, almost the entire month of November. So when you start to see these changes, so let's say you're going back into that same area where, where you did so well in the open, what kind of fish behavior changes are you looking for and environmental changes are you looking for that kind of triggers now, okay, they're in these fall patterns. I can start to test these different techniques that 
and what are those techniques that you might use? I think the biggest deal is water temperature. But let me say this first. It's weird because summer fishing goes from like April to October, November. It all depends. <laughs> it's like the longest season in the year, you know. And then fall fishing will go, it'll go from fall fishing like mid-November, December 1st, into like winter fishing for like three weeks in December and then or January. And yeah, they, they can start spawning January 1, something like that, you know, maybe maybe hold off in February, but I think that's a cool deal. Everything speeded up. But the, the difference is going from summer into fall fishing, I think, is that water temperature drops. And then fish kind of get comfortable and get loose and get active and start feeding. Makes it fun fishing. My biggest deal in fall fishing is, is covering water. Covering water, covering water. Throwing a rattle trap, mostly half-ounce rattle trap. You can throw the hell out of that thing, throw it about a mile. And just cover water and catch active fish. That seems like when that water temperature drops to a certain point, the fish get comfortable, man. It, uh, it's just like people. You know, you, you ride down the street in the middle of the summer. And there's nobody outside. Everybody's inside soaking up the AC. <laughs> as, soon as, that, as soon as that temperature gets to about 70 or mid-70s or, uh, you know, 70 degrees, people start coming out of the house and cooking and hanging out, maybe doing a little work in the yard. I think fishing people have the same mentality. When it's, when it's nasty outside, they want to be comfortable. And when it's comfortable outside, they want to be out there with it and enjoying it. And what do you when think you, that temperature is? What's kind of that range, Cliff, that you see temperature for that comfort level with fish when that water temperature hits a certain area? Probably uh, 70 or so. That's a tough question. That's a good question, but it's a tough question because it's a lot like what, you know, when do fish spawn? Or some fish spawn at 58, some spawn at 75. You know, it all just kind of depends. But once you get into the low 70s, I think, in the fall, fish, they just start heating up, man. They start going crazy. They want to eat everything. And you may have to look for them, but when you find them, it's game time. Yeah, I hear that. Game time definitely happens real quick. You get in the right spot, and, and sometimes it can be just a quick timing deal. You talked a little bit about throwing a rattle trap, throwing a long way out there. For the listeners, are you trying to make contact with something because you hear a lot of crankbait fishing, you want to make contact with stuff? What are you looking for when you're throwing that rattle trap, and, and what are you trying to target? If you're throwing a rattle trap, of course, grass is always a good deal. If you got grass. If not, or any kind of cover is good, but I'm not really trying to contact cover so much. What I'm really looking to do is just cover some water and find, I guess it's uh, almost suspended fish, you know, schooling fish when they're not actively schooling it, but they're still there. You know, they just be suspended. I'm just trying to cover water, cover water. The big deal, I think, is to find out where, where they're at in the water column. You know, whether it be high and, and you're breathing that thing real fast or, you know, it may be down and you have to jig it more. Or, uh, you know, yo-yo it back. But I think the whole deal is covering water and finding aggressive fish. You know, hitting cover is a good thing. At times, I, I, in the fall, I just don't think it's as important, you know, because I don't think those fish are so much set up on cover. I think, um, you know, like we talked about just a minute ago, I think they kind of roam and free. They, they'll still be around cover, but I don't think they uh so much, you know, living in it. They just uh, party and having a good time and looking to eat as much They're as they can. Right. More bait oriented, I imagine. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Hey, it makes makes perfect sense. Fellas, we got to take a short break. We're going to be right back. Bass Edge Radio will return with the Cajun baby, Cliff Crochet. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Sign up to become an O'Reilly O-Rewards member today and start earning instantly. O-Rewards members earn $5 back for every $150 they spend, so if you haven't become a member yet, what are you waiting for? It's fast, easy, and free. O-Rewards, it's your road to exclusive offers only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. See store for details. O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare Killguard, returns with BASS Elite Pro Cliff Crochet in our Angler Spotlight, brought to you in part by PowerPole Shallow Water Anchors. Swift, silent, secure. Cliff, uh, got to ask you some other baits that you're going to utilize in the fall. We talked a little bit about a rattle trap in the last segment. What other kind of baits are you looking to use to locate these moving partying? I think you mentioned the, the fish are partying out there. How are you going to locate these partying bass? There's uh, two, two more good baits that are, that are fun, traditional, just bass fishing baits. And, and the first one is a spinner bait. And, and the fall can be real fun because it is a shad bait for the most part. You can throw every ass out and burn it. You know, like a double wheeler, half ounce double wheeler, something you can throw a mile and real, real fast. Then the next one is a, a topwater bait. Like fall fishing and topwater fishing, they go together. It's like peanut butter and jelly. And a schooling deal can be real fun on topwater, but if not still covering water, I get excited thinking about it. Fall fishing and topwater fishing, that's, they go together. Big time. Well, Cliff, you've had obviously great success on rivers and lakes. What would you say are the major differences or even similarities, for that matter, that uh, you use to break down each of of the systems during this this fall fishing that we're speaking of here? Lakes and rivers are the same, but man, they they different. Whether I'm fishing either one, I'm, I'm still looking for the same kind of deal. I'm looking for something that's um, not necessarily the back. You know, fall fishing is always the back of something, always the back of something. But I'm not necessarily looking for the extreme back of something. I'm looking for something that uh, just kind of goes into nothing. Like, like if I'm on a river, it may be a, a little a little short bayou or, or uh, just a little backwater. It's not really dead in or nothing, but it's just... It just kind of stops, you know, it gives them a stopping point. Like uh, like a pocket behind a sandbar or something like that. Something where, they, where they're still active and still in the main scene of the river, I guess you'd say close to the river, but not so far back. But just something like, like a little area, like a little dead area. Out of the current, out of the way, give them a chance to, um, I guess, corral those shad up or whatever they do. And on, on lakes, it's the same thing. I'm not looking to go to the back of the creek or, you know, way in the back, you know, 10 miles back, but maybe going towards the bank. But there'll be little pockets and little flats and little things, uh, little isolated areas. It's almost like it's our own little, little area of the lake where the fish would get up onto them. You know, and then how uh, do, how does that lead into kind of the winter fishing later uh, this month in the month of December? A lot of winter fishing I do from my house. I don't do a whole bunch. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but the winter fishing I have done is uh same kind of area. Uh, you know, they're not committed to the main lakes or main rivers, but they're not going all the way back. You know, I think like they, they're just kind of hanging and waiting, hanging and waiting for that temperature to go. It's almost like a... Uh, to me, it's almost like a pre-spawn deal, but like a little bit before a pre-spawn deal. It's a little bit out of those areas where they go spawn. But winter, winter fishing is, uh, I tell you, my favorite part about winter fishing is probably the fronts that come in during the winter. Because you get it, you know, the, the day before it's all nasty and the pressure's dropping, it's kind of windy and rainy. And in winter fishing, those are the days. Those are the days I, I look for. And they're the harshest days possible when it comes to weather. But those kind of days can be trips of a lifetime or trips of the year. Those, those are my absolute favorite times to fish between December and March. Love them. I think it's really interesting you say that. I, you know, since I've been living down here in the South the last eight, nine years now, now, I have noticed the exact same thing. The nasty 
nastier the day, the better. I think the big fish just become stupid on those days. It's almost like, you know, when it gets real, real cold morning and the deer rutting and the, the big buck is just a dumb dangling and he's just walking out there in the middle of the cornfield and you just blast him, right? Well, I feel like the big fish do the same thing on those days that you're talking about. You know, those those cruddy, nasty days when that front first comes in, they just get something where they're just stupid and and you can catch some of the biggest fish because they're fat they fed up from the fall you know even when you start getting into january february they start to get pre-spawn and uh, they start you know getting just freaking the biggest they are the entire year and and uh man it it can be on fire I'm, i'm glad you mentioned that's a really good point when you look at winter fishing on rivers you know coming from the northeast we used to always see that the fish would get out of the current and i kind of hear you saying that a little bit you know and they would kind of get in not way in the back of the backwaters but enough in the backwaters where they're not in the main current of the main river do you feel like that's the same way in the south as it is up in the northeast and how do you kind of work on those fish when you go out there in those nasty days techniques and patterns what what comes into play for you one thing that comes in you just brought it up right there is in, they're not in the main river dealing with a, with a lot of current they don't want to be fighting for their lives but what i try to do is stay close to the main current and, and i will be fishing some what i call flow it's not real strong current but you just see that stuff you know oozing around just still moving because i think those fish uh they're used to that they want to be around it. Uh, <laughs> Dude, that they don't is, want to be in is, it, you know? Wait, 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 wait. That is the best analogy I've ever heard for current flow, the water <laughs> oozing around. Dude, that is awesome. I got to look for my ooze. It's oozing around. Get your ooze on with Cliff. That's right. You just got a little bit of flow. But I think I think being close to it but not in it is important. And at that point, a spinnerbait rattle trap, top water, hunting farm, hunting farm. And the cool deal is when you find them, it's game on. That's that's the cool thing about it. You know, depending on where you're at or what's going on, I mean, you can catch 40, 50 if, if it all lines up. That's what I'm know? talking about. Let, let's shift gears quickly. I do want you to kind of address this question. Other than your recliner and the beverage of your choice, how are you going to be uh, practicing for the classic during the winter months to prepare for the event next spring? It's funny you say that because when you make something like that, you know, it seems like it's recliner and beverage of your choice. Like it's, you know, you're just flying high and you're just going to that tournament. And really, it's uh, just the opposite. It's just more chaos, more travel in the off season, more uh, trying to set more things up. It's just more chaos, but, it, but it's fun. You know what I mean? But the way I'll go about it is I'll make two or three trips, just um, not so much fishing trips, just looking trips, trying to see what, what the lake has to offer. And... Um, just looking for, for possible equations, you know, for weather. If weather does this and the water does this, well, this should happen. Or if the weather does this and the water does that, and the wind blows this way, that should happen. That's why I go scout to look for solutions to problems that may come up or situations that may come up. Uh, the one thing I don't do is fish a whole bunch just because I don't want to get attached to certain areas or, or certain things. Just a whole lot of preparation. 
with with all the chaos, trying to do a little relaxing before the chaos really hits. Especially this year, it's going to be a little bit different. You know, you've got two regular season events before the classic even gets underway. So that in itself is going to kind of change the you know maybe momentum of the event because typically you're going into the classic first term of the year right out of the gate, right? Um, even yeah. even ten or fifteen years ago, it was the last event of the season, so it's kind of a reset. But now it's almost Almost like guys are going to build momentum in those first two elite series events before they get to the classic. How important do you think that's going to play in performance of that actual event? I think momentum leading into it could be a big deal and help somebody. But I think if you're not careful and you don't handle yourself well and prepare well, the classic could kill your first two tournaments because the classic is big. It's important. It's a career maker. I mean, it's a, it's a Super Bowl. You know, it's everything we've ever called it, and that's fine. But that's a standalone event. You got to take care of business at Cherokee, and you got to take care of business at Okeechobee, and then go fish a classic. Because if you start fishing a classic in February, Cherokee's down. Okotobi's down. Now, instead of having good momentum going into the Classic, you're already worried about trying to make next year's Classic uh, and having a good rest of the season. You already in hurry up mode. So the big deal for me is to let the Classic be the Classic on its own. But right. knowing that, you know, you got to handle Cherokee and Okotobi one at a time before you get to the Classic. But the cool thing about the Classic is the Classic is a one-week deal. And if you win it, you know, you ride it for a year or two. Or five. <laughs> or five. Or have a long, you ride that forever. But if not, when the Classic's over, the Classic's over and you, and you get back to business. So it'll be interesting to see how different people handle it. But I know for me, uh, I am not down playing the Classic at all. Hopefully I sleep the week of the Classic, but I know before the Classic, there's Cherokee, which is going to be uh, definitely not in my wheelhouse, and Okotoba to take care of before we get there. And once we get there, you can let it all hang out and go for the win. But you bet. that'll be uh, that'll be in March. You got to take care of February first. That's right. Well, I tell you what, we're going to move into our O'Reilly Auto Parts Better Parts Better Prices Every Day Listener Question segment. Cliff, we got this question that came in through our Bass Edge Facebook page, sent in by Josh. Hensley. Here's Josh's question. When I'm pre-fishing for a tournament, should I fish like I'm fishing a tournament or try a lot of different techniques to find fish in different areas? That's a real good question, and I don't know if there's a right answer, but I'll give Josh my opinion on it. When I'm scouting for a tournament, what I do is uh, I, you know, I try to find a pattern in an area that I'm going to work with. You know, whatever I think is working or should be working. Once I have that working, if I think it should be biting a spinnerbait in the back of pockets, I'll run the first pocket. You know, I'll run that until I catch one or catch the quality that I think I need to do well, and I'll check it again. You know, I'll run that pattern a little bit down the lake or whatever, make sure I'm on a good pattern. From there, what I'll do is I'll find other areas like it that I can keep running it. But while I'm finding other areas that I can run that same spinnerbait pattern in the back of pockets, I may pick up a jig or a crankbait in the front of the pocket just to make sure I'm not missing nothing. If that don't work, which may be a good thing because now I can X that off the list, you know, I'll try something else. I may try the front points of the creek or an outside hump or something doing totally different things just to make sure I'm Xing it off. Or along the way, you may find a better pattern or a backup pattern or something that helps in your day. So once I find a pattern, you know, I kind of leave that one alone and, and look for other stuff. 
And that way, like I said, you, you either you either find something to help you out along the way, or when the tournament day starts and things get tough, you know what not to do because that didn't work in practice. It's a little bit of process of elimination. I will tell Josh this, but what I've seen that the best fishermen do is being able to recognize the main pattern or area and get all they can out of it. The good ones don't mess with, with what if stuff. They run what they know is good and build off of that pattern. And sometimes it evolves into something else, and sometimes it don't. But stay in a high percentage stuff where you know the act. Almost sounds to me like a uh, a la Central Open champion from Etchfly Basin. <laughs> that, that was basically the deal. That's awesome. Good stuff. Well, I like I, Cliff, I like how uh, I got kind of tickled there because you said what the best fishermen do. Well, you are one of the best fishermen, so I, I certainly think it's fair to say this is, uh, Josh, this is what needs to be done. And obviously that's why you're winning tournaments based upon answers to questions like that so great job cliff for helping josh with that question josh two things i want from you first off be sure to email us again through our website at bassedge.com or you can simply click on the claim your prize tab and let us know that you heard the question answered on the show and we will send out that o'reilly auto parts gift card and then also shoot us a picture once you get that give us a picture of you fishing with your catch whatever out on the water having fun and we will get that posted on the social media announcing you as our most recent winner. And always a reminder, send in those listener questions via our website, BassEdge.com, to have a shot at winning those O'Reilly Auto Parts gift cards. Or you can shoot us an email, support at BassEdge.com. Check out our Facebook page and Twitter media pages. Cliff, once again, great time having you here on Bass Edge Radio. Any final thoughts as we prepare for uh, Christmas just right around the corner as it is on the countdown? Christmas right around the corner that's a very fun time <laughs> i uh that's a fun time but that's interesting man that uh i like christmas a lot of family a lot of family time a lot of family time a lot of new hunting and fishing stuff a lot of good fishing coming up real good time well cliff make sure you have a great december i look forward to seeing you make a charge at the 2017 classic in lake conroe keep the faith my friend bass edge radio we'll be right back I'm BASS Elite Angler Alton Jones Jr. and this is Bass Edge Radio. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Aaron, as always, great to have Cliff on the air. Um, glad that you could set me straight on my pronunciation. You know, I'm just not from Louisiana, dude. It's tough sometimes, you know? It's like a new language down there. It's its own space, but, uh, you know, and even south of I-10 is a little different than north of I-10, but I'm not from Louisiana either, but I will work with you on your articulation. 
of. All right, cool, cool. Well, I tell you what, let's work a little bit with uh, what Cliff had to say in the interview, which he made some really good comments. One thing that I was specifically interested in is he's going to make several trips over to Lake Conroe to prepare for the classic. A lot of times you hear about guys, you know, going three or four days and calling it good, but Cliff mentioned going over there several times. I think that's important. Um, it's important because you know the Bass Edge listener utilize the winter time like Cliff is utilizing the winter time. You know, maybe go look around some areas of your lake this winter that you typically don't fish. See what they have to offer that may be similar to areas on the other parts of the lake that you have success. You know, so maybe this winter, maybe it's not always about going out and catching fish. It might be going out and graphing some areas, maybe looking for some summertime ledges, looking for some post-spawn summertime structure where, you know, some fish will set up after the spawn, or maybe it's looking for some pre-spawn stuff. But there's a lot of things I feel like, you know, we can learn in the wintertime that doesn't always necessarily have to do with fishing the moment. It has to do with preparing for the future. So I thought that was a really good uh, topic that, that Cliff discussed and uh, something that all of us can learn from, as well as everything else he said. I mean, talking about the current, it seems like it's uh, very similar to the Northeast, you know, the fish not being dead in the current in the wintertime, but actually being just off of the current where the water is oozing. I love that. I got to say <laughs> the oozing water, but a uh, lot, lot of good things. What did you take from uh, some of Cliff's conversation? Yeah, I, I, you know, just to tack on what you said, you know, I was sitting there the whole time and I'm thinking about the upcoming tournament schedule for the Central Pro Elite that I'm fishing next year. And we have a, new, a completely new body of water that really I've spent, even though it's, it's not too far from me, I've only spent one, I guess, series or one tournament, one week on the, on the body of water. So I'm thinking, I was like, man, what he's saying really resonates with me. I'll use the opportunity of this off season to go up there and just do some graphing, you know, put that in conjunction with your Google map study, right? And and then go up there and graph and do like he's saying, pay attention to where the wind is blowing or what happens if this, you know, if the wind changes direction and identify those banks and make some really good, not only waypoints, but also some mental notes on that. So obviously, no doubt the reason why he's successful, always, always a pleasure, a lot of fun to have on there and uh, really kind of took us to the max of the learning curve for that episode but unfortunately speaking of the max we have kind of even maybe exceeded a little bit uh, a little bit over that time horizon where we need to run folks episode 245 we're shutting it down right here but stay tuned because next time hard to believe kurt last episode for 2016 before we ring in the new year for kurt dove i am aaron martin and the rest of the bass edge crew so long everybody we'll see you right here You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge, brought to you in part by O'Reilly Auto Parts, Mercury Marine, Lowrance, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.